Habakkuk, as we are learning about in the Monday morning Bible study, is one of the minor prophets, known as one of the 12 in the Hebrew Bible. It's not that he wasn't important as, say, Isaiah or Jeremiah, but that the length of the book we find in our Bibles is just way shorter than those two. He was actually a prophet during the same time as Jeremiah, and he prophesied to the Israelites of Judah. He raises the same kind of concerns, though, that Jeremiah raises in his writings, mostly about the terrible corruption of the government, the oppression and bad treatment of the poor, and the seeming prosperity of those who do that kind of evil. Sound like a familiar problem? He asks questions most people ever born ask at one time or another. If God is a God of justice and is a good God, if God is powerful enough to create the universe and everything in it, then why does God allow all this evil to continue to happen? Where is the justice? Why do evil people seem to thrive on the backs of others while those who try to live a good life seem to suffer at their hands without seemingly any intervention from God? If God is the just judge, where is the judgment? The book of Habakkuk seems to be a discussion between God and this prophet, and Habakkuk complains about all the injustice, and then God answers. Two times Habakkuk complains, but our passage today only gives us one of those complaints, and it has to do with the corruption in the government of Judah and the increasing violence in that nation. The current king is King Jehoiakim, and he is a puppet of Egypt. The king is abusing his power, and so he exploits the poor and oppresses the people through forced labor, heavy taxation, obstruction of justice, shedding innocent blood, and murdering prophets who say anything against him. He wants to stay in power, so he takes whatever he can from the people to make sure Egypt is kept happy. How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help? and you will not listen, or cry to you violence, and you will not answer. Maybe we might say today, don't you see our pain, God? We're helpless to do anything. Only you can help, so what are you waiting for? I'm reminded of a recent news story about two sisters being attacked in their apartment during a home invasion. They called 911 four times, pleading for help, but the police were never dispatched. They were almost killed. So I can only imagine how it feels to call for help in such a dire situation, and it doesn't come. Have you ever felt that way? Like you were helpless to get out of a situation, begging for help, praying for help, and it never seemed to come? It's a really tough spot to be in. I think of Job. Like Habakkuk, he had a complaint against God. He knew he had lived a righteous life, yet God had allowed him to be afflicted in every way possible. Remember what God said about his character to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Yet when Satan asks, God says, okay, he can be in your power, just spare his life. And Satan, who has already caused the death of all his children, the loss of all his livestock and money, now afflicts him with a terrible bodily disease that he cannot get any relief from. He also complains to God about what God has allowed to happen to him and that the evil prosper while the righteous suffer. Habakkuk and Job seem to have the same perspective and questions for God, and if we're honest about it, 
we probably have the same questions, even if we don't ask them out loud. I know I do. Because I look around at the world, even in our nation, and it seems like corruption is winning the day. Like Habakkuk, I see our government officials more focused on each other and vying for power than caring for the people that elected them. Day after day, the news is filled with investigations and responses to immoral behavior from our officials more than it is reporting on how our government officials are helping make sure our homeless have the resources they need to be safe or warm, or that those whose homes are being burned to the ground in California or flooded in the east are receiving the help they need, or that there is a growing mental health problem, then they're addressing it, or that they're seeking a response to the violence that is on the rise in almost every aspect. It seems like our government and the people in general don't really seem to care or are powerless to do anything about it. To me, anyway, it really does seem like things have gotten out of control, and if not evil per se, a lack of concern for other human beings seems to be growing to a point where I wonder if we will self-destruct. And it does make us ask the question, why try to live a faithful life, living the way God wants us to live, when God doesn't seem to care about how we suffer at the hands of those who don't care about how they live or anyone else but themselves? It's a really good question, and obviously we're not the first to ask that question. Now, there are some biblical examples other than Habakkuk and Job that maybe we can relate to. I think of Joseph. If you remember, Joseph was Jacob's first son by the love of his life, Rachel. He was the apple of his eye, and that's why he made him that coat of many colors. Joseph was obedient and faithful, but he ended up being thrown into a well by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt, falsely accused of attacking his master's wife, which caused him to go to prison for many years. And like Job, he had lost practically everything. And then there's David, David kills a giant, proving God's mighty power to save. He's anointed king by Samuel, yet then he still has to spend years running and hiding in caves from Saul, who has promised to take his life. Why didn't God rescue Joseph from the injustice of his situation? Why didn't God just get rid of Saul and place David on his rightful throne? Job, Joseph, and David are, were faithful followers of God. Didn't they deserve better treatment and care from the God who claimed to love them? And then there are some examples from more recent times. I think about the stories of children being of slaves being ripped from their mothers and sold, never to be seen again, and the mothers crying out to God, how long? Nazi Germany and the millions of Jewish people killed for no other reason than their faith. Then more personal examples of people suffering horrific tragedies, loved ones taken from them in tragic accidents, children missing for years, violence and rage in the form of shootings and running down crowds of people, children abused by the very people who claim to love them, illnesses like ALS and cancer and MS that steal a person's dignity and our ability to live life with any joy at all. Why do the innocent suffer, God? How long before you do something? Now, 
I love Habakkuk's action plan that we see in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Yep, he says, I'm going to wait right here until I get an answer. He, like Job, is willing to wait for God to answer him, not afraid to question God at all. And even though some people may think it's not okay to question God, Habakkuk proves to us that not only is it okay, but that God answers. Because the very next line is, then the Lord answered me. And what does God say? He tells him, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. See, God starts with a vision. So what is the vision, Habakkuk? Remind people of the vision. Make it as plain to them as I'm making it to you. The vision for the Israelites at this point, though, doesn't start out too cheery because that vision was that the Babylonians were coming to destroy their country and take them into exile. But the vision was that God would return them to their land, that God would make them prosper, that he would never leave them, not even in the midst of that exile. Now, it may seem like God would abandon them, but that would never be the case. God would always be with them. And it was the same with Joseph. And you know, they knew that story. All the miscarriages of justice in Joseph's life could have left him believing that God had abandoned him. But if you read the story over and over, Scripture reminds us that even in the midst of his sufferings, God was with him. And even in slavery and prison, he prospered. Joseph tells his brothers who sold him into slavery that what they meant for his harm God meant for their good. They would be saved from the terrible famine that was coming their way only because of what God had allowed Joseph to suffer. But God never left him. The people of Israel were rescued because what seemed like evil to the world was the very instrument God was using to bring about the vision that the Israelites would be his people, a light to the nations. There would be more suffering for the Israelites to come before they made it to the promised land, but the vision never died, and God was faithful in fulfilling that vision. So if Habakkuk lived today, what would be the vision he would write on that tablet? Well, as people of faith, our vision is the world God has promised when Christ returns, a world of joy and peace where there are no more tears and no more sorrow, no more violence, no more death or debilitating diseases, no more abuse or hatred, prejudice or poverty, when justice prevails and no one is poor or homeless because fairness and equality rule forever. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. But unfortunately, we must wait for it. God says it will come, but it will come at the appointed time. And Jesus says we won't know the hour or the day. We must have faith 
that it will come, the righteous live by their faith. Like Joseph, we may have to live through some pretty bad injustice while we wait. Or like Job, have to suffer great loss or hardship that seems very unfair. So what do we do in the meantime? How do we live in an unjust world where evil seems to prevail while waiting for the justice of God to manifest itself? Well, I thought about the message from last week in running the race. God tells Habakkuk to write the message so that a runner can read it. I think that means really big letters. I like to believe the runners are faithful people of God running the race that God has set before us. And we talked last week about how the very act of running is painful. Muscles push to the limit so we feel the pain, lungs gasping for air. Real effort doesn't come without some sort of pain. And as the people of God, we live in what we often refer to as an in-between time. God's kingdom is here, but not yet. And what that means is that when we put our faith in Christ, we live in the kingdom of God now, or at least the kingdom lives in us. But that kingdom is not fully realized on earth until Christ comes again, bringing with him the full realization of that beautiful kingdom of God. Like running a race, we know there's a finish line. And for believers, it is this kingdom fully realized, but we know we're still running. And we're not there yet. And while we run this race of faith, there will be suffering. We will not be immune. As a matter of fact, Paul and others tell us to expect it. Even Jesus says that people of faith must carry their cross. There is no human being ever born who has not suffered in some way. Yes, some more than others. But all of us have suffered. Yet what keeps us going during the times of suffering is our faithfulness to the vision that God has laid out before us. There will come a time when the world God has promised will be here. That's our finish line. Will we keep running while we wait for it? That means that we take our faith seriously, working to bring that kingdom here on earth while we wait. That means we share the good news of Jesus with anyone and everyone so that maybe that time will come sooner or at least the evil in the world will begin to dissipate as people learn to love each other more and more. That means we live life in a way that continually points to God and our faith that evil will not prevail. We live with integrity. We make choices that honor Jesus and how he teaches us to live. See, our faith in Christ gives us the knowledge that God is with us no matter what. The power of the Holy Spirit in that kingdom lives within us, giving us the strength and the power to endure whatever life throws at us. The harder we have to run, the more we struggle, we can have confidence that God is with us, never leaves us or forsakes us, and there will come a day when the race will be done. I think about the saints we celebrate today. They've run the race, and I know that some of them, if not all of them, suffered through some pretty hard times in their lives, yet they kept the faith 
kept the vision that God had set before them and kept running. Paul also tells us in Romans 8.18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. He goes on to say that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Not injustice, not abuse, not home invasions, not cancer, not Alzheimer's, not government corruption, not the selfishness of others, and because of Christ, not even evil or sin. Death cannot even keep us from finishing the race that God has set before us. And what may seem like evil may well be the instrument of God's salvation for us all. That's what the cross is all about. So keep the vision in front of you as you live the life of faith that God has set before you. For each of us, that race will be different. Some will seem to suffer more and some will suffer less. But we can all know that God hears us, that God answers us, and is with us every step of the way. So when those tough times come, keep fighting through, knowing that that vision will be made real one day. We just have to wait for it. How long? I don't know. But keep the faith. Hold on to God and know that God is with you. And when you are suffering, just keep looking at the cross. Jesus understands suffering, and he is with you every step of the way. He will hold you up. We are never alone. We have God, and we have each other to help us along the way. So dare to persevere. Dare to stand up and work to bring that vision to the world here and now in any way you can. Live and love Run and suffer with joy in your heart and the kingdom of God in your view. We will understand it better by and by. Just believe it and wait for it. Amen.